Today's episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hi, I'm here with Laura Purcell, head writer on Roanoke Falls for Realm and author of many other fantastic books. Um, If you want to introduce yourself to our listeners. Oh, thanks, Beth. Um, Hello, I'm Laura. I write mainly gothic suspense novels, um, and I've recently worked on Roanoke Falls for Realm, which is an exciting new audio project for me. Yeah, and I'm really excited to hear it. The whole Roanoke mystery is really fascinating to me. Can you give me a quick rundown of how you started out as a writer? Yeah. Um, well, it's quite long and convoluted now I think about it. I've always been writing stories. Um, and funnily enough, I started off kind of in writing romance stories when I was younger. I really started to take my writing seriously in my 20s when I wrote um, two historical novels based on the Georgian monarchs. And then I found a silent companion in a stately home, which is like a creepy wooden figure. They are so unsettling. They're they're just really, really scary. And I I couldn't figure out what it was. Um, I did some research into it and found out that nobody really knew what they were used for. They were these kinds of, you know, fire screens or or decorative, whimsical art objects. Can you define what a a silent companion is? Yeah, so it's like a wooden figure, but it's flat and it's on a stand and it's painted to look like a person. So I guess it's kind of like like a cardboard cutout, but an oldie-worldy version of that. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, they really freaked me out. So I decided I was going to try and write a scary story, a, a horror story for the first time in my life which I did. And it really took off. So now that's what I do. <laughs> and it really is. It's such a good book. Oh, thank you. It really is. Like it's had me with chills, <laughs> stuck with me a really long time. So when you're working on a book, do you typically start with something like The Silent Companions or do you have like an idea or a character or do you start from a plot element? Yeah, I mean, it's different each time because there's all kinds of different inspirations swirling around in your head. Um, I often do start with an object like The Silent Companion or when I wrote Bone China, I started off with the willow pattern teacups. But sometimes it's my research into history, just awful anecdotes or crimes that I discover spark an idea. And I go from there. Um, I generally have the end of the story before I've got the full story. Ah, that's very cool. Yeah, I can work backwards. Your protagonists tend to be female and they're often struggling with issues facing them that are kind of ingrained in the era that they live. So, for example, a young widowed woman in Silent Companions. And then there's kind of what I'd call her co-protagonist, who's she's reading the diary of. Yeah, Sarah. Who's the mother of a child who many people think is cursed. Oh, yeah. And then you've got your struggling silhouette artist and a, a female phrenologist. And what fascinates you about them? I think, I think, especially exploring the gothic themes that I have of, of kind of not fitting in between worlds, um, the role of women is really interesting to me. Women that perhaps don't fit into the social norms of the world around them. And when they're trying to break out, whether it be into science or, or just through their differences. Yeah, women always really fascinate me and I, I like to explore the world through their prism. I think especially, you know, being a woman myself, when I look at history, mm. I always think, well, how would I fit into this world? What struggles would I have? 
Um, and my conclusion is that I would probably be dead long before now, really, <laughs> in that society. Do you tend to have a writing routine? So do you like start at the same time every day or does it just sort of come when it comes? No, I mean, when I was working full time in an office job, um, I used to get up at 5.30 every day and right before work. Oh, God. Yeah, it was grim. It was grim. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it, it did what it needed to do, but I don't recommend it from a, a mental health point of view. No. But that's what I did for years and years. But obviously, when I started writing full time, I didn't want to get up at 5.30 anymore. So I kind of fell into a bit of a different routine. And it can change from day to day, depending on what I'm working on, what I'm promoting. So no, I try to write a thousand words a day and it doesn't really matter when that happens as long as as it does happen um so I'm quite flexible with that but I think the time I write best is is probably sort of early afternoon yeah that's when the words seem to come and then I think just like when I was in an office job somewhere around two three o'clock sort of coffee time you have a crash (laughs) yeah yeah What are the hardest and easiest bits of writing for you? It really, it depends on the project. Some projects just flow and they're wonderful and some start off looking innocent and you end up winding yourself up into all kinds of problems with them. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I've had a a bit like that recently with the novel I'm working on. Thank goodness it's it's fine now, but I had to restart it five times because I just kept, kept going wrong. So... I think, you know, the easiest bit for me is probably coming up with ideas and the research because I I often come up with too many ideas and when I write I have to take them out of the novel because I've just thrown too much stuff in there. I guess the hardest part for me not the actual writing itself but the writing career is having is having to promote things and go around and talk mm. to crowds and things up because that's not that's not me I, I hide in a cave and I write <laughs> yeah writing is one of those things that you tend to do alone and then it's like oh I'm in front of a big crowd of people yes, <laughs> yes suddenly you're having to be very eloquent and um you know I, I communicate better through the written word yeah. that's, that's why I do it <laughs> so that's a big challenge for me but I'm getting used to it yeah that's kind of the joy of podcasting for me is you can kind of crop stuff down <laughs> yes yes if you say something stupid you can just edit it out which is amazing what's your writing space like do you listen to things do you have kind of stuff up on the wall uh, or do you need silence sorry I'm, I'm laughing now because I know Beth that you can see my writing space around me this is my <laughs> office and it's just it's just chaos it's just a junk room really to be honest with you yeah um, mine is mine is very similar <laughs> I I'm not I would love to be one of those writers that has their own sort of writing shed and uh, everything but unfortunately you know I'm not I just work in the second bedroom of our house which we've converted into a study it's full of books and random junk and as far as the atmosphere around me I mean sometimes I put music on sometimes I don't it, it really depends on what I'm writing I don't want music with words because because that can yeah, interrupt my flow. Yeah. <laughs> but um, sometimes I do I do like sort of movie soundtracks and stuff to write to. Yeah. Um, it really depends on the day. Some days I need it, some days I don't. I, I'm not really a creature of habit. Yeah. Do they help with like if you're writing a dramatic scene, you put more dramatic music on? Or is yes, it kind of, yeah. yeah, get you in the mood. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, I think and whilst writing Roanoke Falls, uh, because it was being executive produced by John Carpenter, I, I got all the John Carpenter music up oh, and uh, excellent. Halloween sound soundtrack to write to and and that really helped me get in the mood yeah that's awesome are you a digital writer so keyboard are you do you use paper and pen more do you kind of plot stuff out by hand or is it all digital it's mainly digital I do have lots of notebooks where I scribble things down because sometimes you can't access a computer yeah but I think for me 
I've always been a writer at keyboard. And when I write things by pen and paper, I just have to type it up afterwards. That's additional labour I don't want to be doing. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I think it's like hard, especially when you've got messy handwriting. Yeah, and I do. But I think, you know, I think it it really helps, especially when you get stuck. And sometimes you do, you run up against a roadblock. Uh, It can help to switch it up and write by by hand. Um, Mm. But no, mainly for me. My hand doesn't move fast enough for my thoughts. Whereas I type, it goes quicker. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you got any advice for writers who are listening? (laughs) Well, I mean, it it, it really depends on what the goals are. Because every writer I've spoken to, you know, their journey's been different. My goal was always to to be able to write full time. I didn't really need to be a a bestseller or have movie deals, etc. My goal was to just have a steady career where I could write full time. And, and to do that, I mean, how did I do it? I don't really know. <laughs> my, my advice would just be persistence and flexibility, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a very disheartening game, but you have to keep going and you have to be willing to adapt. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Which writers are you a big fan of? Oh, so many, so many. Um, so I'm a big fan of Sarah Waters, um, Daphne du Maurier, all these gothic writers. Yeah. I love Philippa Gregory for historical fiction. Mm, yeah. Um, who else do I love? I mean, so the classics are very precious to me and I'm a big Jane Austen fan and the Brontes. Yeah. I love everything like that. Obviously, Stephen King and Shirley Jackson. Yeah, I've been reading a lot of Shirley Jackson oh, recently. She's, to, she's just amazing. When I was getting in the mood for writing our Halloween, though. Oh, great. Yeah, well, I, what I love about Shirley Jackson is just like she really gets you inside the head of the character and you, you kind of feel like you're going mad with them as you read, which is mm, just yeah. astonishing. I don't really know anybody else that can do that so well. Yeah, it's like, oh, this is a totally logical yes, action. This it. is really you, not. <laughs> you follow yeah. their thought process so much that you're like, yes, yes, do this crazy thing. That, that's what you need to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's great like that. So for Roanoke Falls, is this your first time working with audio production or is it, uh, have you done script before? Yes, yes, it has been. It's been so different. I think the closest thing I did was I wrote um, something for Audible, a short story for for audio but it was very much like prose like I would write yeah yeah this is the first time I'd been able to work with sound effects uh, and and different actors like a fully casted script it was it was just really amazing hearing it come to life were you part of the production process at all or was it a case of just handing over the script and being like here it is I very much handed over the script. Um, I was working with Realm, who were very much practised hands at this. Yeah. And, uh, I trusted their feedback and their instincts, and they really helped me to, to put together a script that would work. Yeah. It's very different to prose, to writing prose. And there were some things that I wasn't sure about. And then when I listened to them, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, they've got the experience. That's that's the right call. That really works in audio. Yeah. But it was a challenge and also a lot of fun to try and think up things that would sound good. And yeah. Give creepy sound effects to use. I think sound is such a huge part of the horror experience. When you're watching a horror movie, yeah. the music and the moments of silence and and the sound just really ramp up the tension. Yeah. And it was great fun to be able to play with that. Yeah, especially with John Carpenter on board. Yeah, I mean, absolutely amazing. I couldn't couldn't ask for more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, what part of it did you enjoy writing the most? Oh. 
this is going to sound awful, but um, I really liked writing the gory scenes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so with my novels, um, I write for a very mainstream audience. Mm. You know, they have horror elements, but they're not genre horror. Yeah. And I'm often encouraged to sort of tone down the gore, rein it back a little bit. Yeah. Where in this, I had three rain. Um, <laughs> it was as much splatter as I wanted it was it was encouraged yeah, so that, that yeah. was great fun I'm sorry to all my characters who I killed horribly but <laughs> it was fun yeah yeah oh and yeah I guess hearing that translated to audio is yeah 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 it, it's it's amazing how they do the death scenes I've only heard the first episode so far but yeah I really liked what they did and, and it's yeah it, it's a lot of fun fantastic uh, I think that may be all my questions for Great, you. Thank you. Sorry, I'm a rambler. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, uh, up next is episode one of Roanoke Falls. Thank you so much for joining me, Laura. It's been so lovely to speak to you. That's all right. Thank you for having me. You're a star. And we'll have a list of Laura's books below, as well as uh, information on how you can subscribe to Roanoke Falls. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Before you listen to the first episode of Roanoke Falls, We'd like you to check out the content warnings in our show notes. Roanoke Falls is a horror podcast and contains a lot of gore. But it's a great show and we hope you enjoy it. The first Roanoke colony, North America, 1585. I opened my eyes to see nothing. Darkness pressed over my face like the palm of a hand. But that wasn't what scared me. No. No. Please. I wished I'd never come here. The devil in the woods was coming for me. Just as he'd come for the others. And now there was no one left to hear me scream. There was nowhere to run. Go away! The window shutter creaked open. Moonlight streaked in. I saw the inside of my shack the pile of straw where I slept, and the figure sprawled upon it. It didn't look human. Decay had eaten it away. But I recognized the threadbare doublet covering rotting flesh. Samuel? No. It was my brother. He'd only been dead a month. The devil had unearthed his grave, placed him beside me while I slept. He had already been inside my shack. He was taunting me. I was the only one who'd seen him face to face. His claws, his wolf's eyes glinting beneath a long black coat. There's no escape from him, even in death. My journal was all I had left. I couldn't save myself, but maybe I could warn others. Run! Go back for the sake of your souls. Realm presents Roanoke Falls, Episode 1. The Second Roanoke Colony, 
two years later. The blood won't come out. I've tried ashlai and urine, but it's still there. Blood splattering my apron. Our last goat hangs upside down against the cabin, its blood pooling in the dirt. My chafed hands sting as the air bites them. They look like they belong to someone else. I didn't have these calluses or this peeling skin when we left England. Roanoke, we should never have come here. If it's this bad now, how will we face winter? The first colony fell to ruin. Why should we be any different? Ruined. A ragged hole gapes in my apron. Agnes? Agnes, what's happened? Although Thomas is twice my age, he walks towards me with the energy of a much younger man. Nothing. I I didn't mean to frighten you. I just had an accident and I... I... Agnes, what is this? He takes in the dead animal, the thick bloody mud that encroaches on my shoes. For dinner, Thomas. For dinner. I keep my eyes steady on his face. You know what the settlement will say. You hear the whispers. If they reach me, they certainly reach you. How can I show them that I am a man of God who can lead them through this land if my wife is... Your wife is strong and good with a knife. We've only had porridge for days, Thomas. We're hungry. We need the meat. Take our beasts to Caleb Jeffers next time. You know he handles our butchering. I thought you were hurt. This slaughtering is not the role of a minister's wife. But now I must go. I'm late to pray with the Cox family. Daniel Cox is still missing, then. It's easy to become separated in those woods. But he won't have come to any harm, wife. He was carrying a musket, ready to hunt. He'll find his way home. The Lord will guide him back to us. Yes, of course. God willing. I look towards the woods. They seem to be reaching out, ready to pull someone in. I don't think we'll ever see Daniel Cox again. Please be useful while I'm gone. Go and watch little Prudence. With her mother ill, she needs a woman's hand, and it's your Christian duty to help her, Agnes. It's good preparation for when we have a child of our own. I don't think that will be any time soon. You've bled? But, Thomas, don't you think it's for the best? I'd be terrified to bring a child into this place. How would we feed it and keep it warm through the winter? Oh, Agnes, where is your faith? I don't tell him it's gone. I don't believe that God can reach us here. We lost him somewhere out at sea. And where is your patience? We've been married for less than two years. Give it time. His face grows stern. Caleb Jeffers wed obedience six months after us. They have a healthy baby boy. Well, maybe you chose the wrong bride. Something shifts behind his eyes, and he puts a gentle hand on my shoulder. I'll see you in a few hours, Agnes. Yes, husband. When he's out of sight, I take my ruined, bloody apron and rip it to shreds. The Greenaway house is just ahead. Prudence sits on a tree stump, watching her father Zachary chop wood. A small pewter brooch is pinned to the front of her bodice. And suddenly I can't take another step. 
The thought of being under that roof with Zachary's sharp, judgmental glare. And if obedience is visiting, it will be worse. A devout woman with a perfect baby to coo at. I turn to go. Mistress Blair, stop. Where are you going? Oh, hello, Prudence. How are you all? Is your wife feeling any better, Goodman Greenaway? She's asleep. She sleeps a lot. Are you going for a walk? Can I join you? We could gather mushrooms. I'm so hungry. May I go, Father? <clears throat> well, so long as you're not bothering me. Oh, thank you, Father. Mistress Blair, just wait a moment while I fetch my basket. It's awkward without Prudence's cheer between us. Don't worry. I'll watch over your daughter closely. His lips twist. But who will be watching you, Mistress Blair? Before I can answer, Prudence comes racing out. I'm ready. Let's go. Neither of us say goodbye. Prudence leads the way. I'm too angry to concentrate on where we're headed, stewing on Zachary's words. My hand strays to the pouch of glass beads I keep tucked away in my skirts. Hearing the click of the small, hard globes brings me comfort. There's a tug on my dress. Why doesn't my father like you? Maybe it's better you ask him that. I did. He said Thomas wasn't meant to marry you. Well, that's true. My husband was going to marry your sister, Obedience. But then my father died, and so Thomas agreed to look after me. I can still see that day. Thomas's small, cramped chapel in Bristol. My mother's dress of French lace hanging loosely on me. She had been much taller. Our marriage was an act of charity, because my father was once good to Thomas. I didn't have a choice, but at least I had a home in a familiar place. And then came the news. We were leaving for the new world. Obedience is married to Caleb now, so it doesn't matter anymore. It matters to your father. What does bewitch mean? Why would you ask that? I heard my sister Obedience say it by the fire one night. They thought I was asleep, but I heard them say you bewitched your husband. My heart skips a beat. If the Greenaways had seen me slaughter the goat this morning... Thomas was right to be angry. I can imagine the whispers. Pagan. Witch. That's a dangerous word, Prudence. Be careful with it. I'll try. We're close to the edge of the forest now. Other leaves are bruising red, brown, and a sickly yellow. Prudence skips forward. There's something about these woods. Something I don't like. Stop here. We can find mushrooms on the outskirts. No, there aren't any left here. I've looked. But there will be some in the woods. And there's something else I want to show you. No, we shouldn't go wandering in the forest. Didn't you hear that Daniel Cox got lost in there? I won't get lost. I come here all the time. <laughs> oh, she's gone. Straight into the thicket. My heart plunges. But I have no choice except to follow. <sighs> it smells earthy and damp beneath the canopy of leaves. Prudence! Prudence! Slow down! Wait for me! Prudence! Prudence! And then I see her. She leans behind a tree, almost like she's whispering to it. Prudence, don't you run from me like that. You don't need to worry, Mistress Blair. It's safe here. My friend looks after me. My skin crawls. Suddenly I have the feeling of being watched. 
Your friend? And who would that be? One of the Croatoan? No, it's... Promise you won't laugh at me. I won't. There's a spirit here. Someone left. From before. Thomas would be angry at me for listening to superstition, but I can't help it. Are you saying you've seen a ghost? Not a ghost. More of a shadow. I think he's from heaven. A guide sent to us from above. Oh, just like we pray for in church every day. Prudence's imagination must be going mad in this unknown. Is he watching us now? Your friend? No. I kneel next to her. Shadows can hide things from you, Prudence. They can be treacherous. It would probably be best that you don't come here anymore. Prudence fiddles with her pewter brooch as I rise to my feet. Then she grabs my hand. Come on, I want to show you a secret. It will be quick, I promise. Branches snag at my clothes, my hair, my skin as she pulls me in deeper. This is my favorite spot. She points to the other side of a grimy stream. A ruined shack with one sightless window squats beneath the trees. What's that? That's the best bit. The little house. Come and see. There shouldn't be a house this far out from the settlement. Something bad happened in that shack. I can feel it in my bones. I should turn back. But I don't. Something draws me in. colder, darker on this side of the water. It stinks of decay. Spanish moss droops over the collapsed roof. Only two walls stand, streaked with bird dung and moss. Runes are carved in the dirt by the door. I can't read them, but I know that they're used for protection, to keep something out. Prudence strolls into the ruins. Prudence, wait! I just need to find something. Here it is. I kept it covered up so it was safe. She turns to me with a ragged book clasped in her hands. This is what I wanted to show you. Can you read? Yes, Thomas taught me. I know the scriptures by heart, but I haven't learned my letters. I think it's something left over from before. Do you think it might say what happened to the other colony? Swallowing, I take the damp book into my hands. It's homemade paper sewn together with twine. It's hard to see the faded ink on the waterlogged paper. Read it aloud to me. <sighs> Let's see. I never I imagined, imagined people, people could, could be, be so, so cruel. cruel. They told me we'd create a new world, a place of love and friendship, but that was a lie. Every man is for himself in the end. God help me to bear it. I don't want this to be my final home. Whoever this person was, I can taste their unhappiness as I speak their words. It's achingly like my own. Go on. I can't. It will only scare Prudence to hear of what happened, what's probably awaiting us. The writing's old and faded. I I really can't make it out in this light. Tell you what, we'll make a bargain, Prudence. If I tell you what the book says, you must promise not to walk out here on your own again. That's not fair. Well, that's how a deal works. I do something for you, and you do something for me. Prudence's eyes slide away to the trees. 
All right, then. I'll stop coming here. But you have to tell me exactly what the book says. I'll make something up to tell her. Of course. Now, come on. It's time to get back to the settlement. She lets me guide her by the shoulder away from the shack. Her great weight lifts from me as we leave. I think of Daniel Cox, stranded out here alone. <gasps> what was that? I spin around, heart pounding, staring deep into the tangle of branches. But I can't see anything out there. The congregation sits stiffly in their clean white collars and stovepipe hats. James Worthing, our blacksmith, stares at his hands and refuses to meet anyone's eyes. The poor man lost his wife on the voyage over and only comes out for church. He hides himself away in the forge, talking more to the horses that he shoes than to other people. I wish I could do the same. His cheeks are flushed, and for the first time I notice he is handsome. Brown hair, curling up just above his collar, strong jawline. Obedience Jeffers positions her baby proudly on her shoulder, trying to angle his small face towards where Thomas stands, alone at the front of the church. I know of your struggles. The crops are barren, the livestock scarce. But these are but trials to test our faith. We can overcome Those who came before us failed because their faith was weak. The devil prowls around, sowing doubt among us. Resist him and let the Lord strengthen your spirit. God is good. good. I didn't believe this when we left England, and I don't believe it now. We should have taken the failure of the last settlement as a warning and stayed far away. Just how much suffering lays ahead of us in the coming months. The journal Prudence found might have the answer. It sits on my lap, beneath my prayer book, burning against my skirts like a hot coal. I haven't shared it with Thomas. He doesn't want to know the real fate of the last colony. He wants to pretend everything will be fine if we only believe. Thomas opens his leather Bible and begins to read aloud. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God, out of the fish's belly. This is my chance. I slip the journal inside my prayer book and open it to read. The ink is faded with age. They threw us out of the settlement. Sickness spreads quicker than fire and puts every life at risk. They had no choice. But God forgive me, I resent them. I hate them for doing this to us. Samuel suffers so much. We have only a small shack to protect us from the cold. A sensible woman would leave her brother to die and save herself. I just can't. He doesn't even know me anymore. Hannah, I tell him. I'm Hannah. My flesh creeps. A sickness. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Yet I will look again toward the holy temple. I search for a list of symptoms. Instead... I see the writing change to a hasty scroll. Maybe we are safer out here. We heard screaming from the village. I ran to see what had happened. They found a body. I could see the red soaking the earth from where they dragged him away. My throat is so tight I can barely swallow. When my soul fainted within me, 
I remembered the Lord. I glance back down to the book. There is a darkness at work here. I feel it stealing closer day by day. Samuel grows more ill. He coughs blood. We are cursed. The people were talking about some kind of creature. Its eyes burned, they said. They burned red like... Lucifer! Cold wind gusts in. As one, the congregation whip around to see a man staggering up the aisle. Blood drips in his wake. His clothing is torn and ragged, showing patches of bruised skin. One eye has sealed shut. There's a mark over it, like the rake of a claw. Obedience clutches her baby. The man can barely walk. His knees unhinge and he drops beside my pew. Daniel? Daniel Cox? He's come back. Thomas dashes forward and pulls the man to a kneeling position. I told you faith would bring him back to us. Across the chapel, Daniel's wife Mercy clasps a hand to her mouth. Daniel looks nothing like the man we lost. He reeks of coppery blood and something else, something foul. Sulfur! Where were you? What happened to you? Daniel's one eye roams wildly about, focusing at last on the cross. When he opens his lips, blood dribbles out. He's missing teeth. I came to warn you. God can't save us here. <gasps> For shame, Daniel. These words belong to something else. Who? The word flies from my lips before I can stop it. Prudence leans forward on her bench. Satan! Created and produced by Realm. Your portal to another world. Listen away. Roanoke Falls is written by Laura Purcell, produced by Nicole Otto and Haley Wagreich, and executive produced by John Carpenter, Sandy King Carpenter, and Molly Barton. Performed by India Dupre, Eric T.D., Anthony Garland, Theo Devaney, Jack Hawkins, Stella Balick Carr, Jess Nahikian, Callie Shatara, Kyle McCarley, Craig Robert Young, Caroline Bloom. Audio production and direction by Kaylin West. Sound design by Fred Greenhalge and Rory O'Shea. Additional editing by Corey Barton. Original music by Hashem Asadullahi. With orchestration by Andrew Rowan. Featuring performances by Kevin Devine, Alba Ponce de Leon, Max Kuttner, Carl McComas Reichel, and Peter Brendler. Cover art by Kindle Thomas. The Fable and Folly Network where fiction producers flourish.
you love actual plays D&D, Hades, or Greek mythology and improv, be sure to check out Rogue Runners Volume 1 in the Blood to follow the adventures of Alexander the Great, King of Macedon, and Drunk Paladin. Oh, sorry. I guess now I'm Alexander the Grump. Rolf, part-time sorcerer, full-time boomer. Is it a sex thing? It was a sex thing! Arete, stealthy rogue and even thirstier mobster. Mm, have you bathed and brought to my tent? And Annie, legendary bard and chocolate milk fanatic. Together, these four wretched shades will battle their way out of hell for another chance at life, with a little help and hindrance from gods and monsters alike. Word of advice when you're opening up these things, you're supposed to say, Olympus, I accept this message, in some really serious voice. Take your place among the living again. Your tactics are adept, if too elegant for my tastes. My dear, saying no is never a crime. (laughs) You hit like a philistine. You're not getting out of here alive, wretches. A pinky promise? A double pinky promise. When you die, you'll have to tell me all about it. Rogue Runners, an actual play audio drama made during the pandemic, all while maintaining proper social distancing. And I'll follow at a six-foot distance. How about a five-foot distance for D&D purposes? Sure. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 